welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the program. We do come your way every uh, Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times. And uh, we encourage you to go to our podcast as well uh, at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitchers, Player FM, Blueberry, a bunch of other locations as well. We hope that you enjoy the podcast. We encourage you to go to those if you're listening to the radio broadcast because sometimes we go longer than uh, the 50 minutes that we are allocated on the radio program. So hope that you will um, avail yourselves of that as well as going to our guest website. We'll give you that shortly. And also, if you can financially support us, if you like what we're doing, you want to be a part of uh, this effort to change the world and provide people with uh, a new paradigm for a new world and also... um, Uh, give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We have a PayPal and Patreon account, and uh, you can go to our website, the homepage, or the missions page. Uh, You can also go to SoundCloud, and you uh, you will see, uh, go to Tell Me Your Story, and you will see uh, a a blue button there that uh, they've made available that is linked to our PayPal account. So lots of different ways that you can support us. We will even take energetic support. I'm Richard Dugan, and I am your host, and today our program I think you're going to truly enjoy, and I think that you're going to find it fascinating as well. I hope you are anyway. Uh, We have a very special guest on the program. She's the author of a book entitled Swerve. Ellery Akers is my guest, and I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thanks for inviting me, Richard. Now, um, you have, as I mentioned, this new book out, uh, this latest book, but I think maybe the focal point we might want to look at is Sort of the focus of the work, the the written work in particular. We'll get into the details uh, in in a short uh, in short order here. But swerve in particular, it's uh, swerve environmentalism, feminism, and resistance. Um, and these are poems by your by yourself. I almost said yours truly, not me. <laughs> by you, but you also have practicing the truth is another book that you have out. Uh, uh, I would take it that most of your work is poetry. Is that correct? That's correct. I'm mostly a poet. I write essays. I've written a children's book, but I, my heart is in poetry. Okay. Well, now let me ask you uh, in regards to uh, poetry. Why? Why that particular genre? Why has that? Oh, stuck out for you that has allowed you to express yourself, your thoughts, your feelings, etc., uh, in in this way. Well, you know, uh, poetry is not exactly mainstream, and I once called the the information operator to get the number of the Poetry Society of America, and she came back and she said, I've looked everywhere under Poultry Society, American Society of Chicken Ranchers. I can't find anything about poultry. And I said, well, it's poetry. It's not really common for a lot of people to read poetry, but I feel that poetry honors the soul in a way that no other form can. It really cuts to the core. It's short. And uh, I feel in this particular book, Swerve, I wanted to address a lot of the grief I felt about what's happening to the earth. And I wanted to do it in a soulful way because I feel a lot of us feel like this. And there's a kind of soul loss. And, you know, Carl Jung, my favorite psychologist, once said, poetry carries the soul of the culture because poets tell the truth. And I think that's true. I think there are a lot of people who think that poetry is 
uh, not something that they're into. Uh, but I have come to understand, and and I'd love you to elaborate on this, that if you are a music lover and you have your favorite artists, your favorite bands, your favorite groups, whatever it may be, and they have vocals, the majority of these songs are nothing more than poems put to music. Yeah, I can really see that. And for me, poetry is a wonderful way to have a process that I do. I'm a real nature poet. I just work outside. I take a camp chair. I sit there and I have a whole process that I go through in poetry, which is... I guess a kind of form of listening. I like to sit down for actually a couple of hours. It takes me a long time and try to see what it's like to be the, the tree in front of me. And I really almost don't start writing until I can become that tree from the inside or I can feel like I'm a fox. And I really sit there and I often say, what's it like to be you? And I feel once I was trying to draw uh, and write about a blackberry thorn, and it just wasn't very good. It was just not a very good poem. And I thought, Ellery, uh, I haven't entered into this thorn. And when I did, I felt the thorn was saying to me, I'm so proud to be protecting this blackberry. Mm. It was it was amazing. And then I was able to write about it in a better way. Now, the focus of this particular work, of course, as uh, I've already uh, stated, uh, has to do with... Uh, environmentalism, feminism, and resistance. Uh, let's start with environmentalism. And as you and I are conversing here on this program here in 2020, which, by the way, I declared as the year of perfect vision, encouraging people to go within, to mm-hmm. find their source, to find the still small voice that will guide them, their intuition, their higher self, their divine self, if you will. And one of the things that I have noticed in this period of time in which we are today, there are more and more reports around the world of how the environment has, shall we say, bounced back from... Uh, uh, some serious conditions since man has at least curtailed in a big way his movements. Uh, And I I don't mean to be sexist when I say his uh, because it encompasses everyone. But the point is what we're seeing is that as we stay at home and stay safe and try to avoid whatever it is that we're trying to avoid, that what we're finding is that the earth is, she is rebounding. Uh, And I think the greatest example of that are the canals in Venice. And they say that the dolphins have returned and they haven't been there for 500 years. Talk to us about your perspective of the environment and a poetry that you have written in, in that regard uh, and and why why it's so important to you? I think what you said is so true, Richard. I I'm amazed at how people in India are seeing the Himalayas for the first time in 30 years. How uh, the air is cleaner, 
Uh, fewer children are dying of asthma, even with this terrible and may I say catastrophic event that's that's hurting so many people in so many ways. So uh, one thing I feel is the silver lining of this really incredibly hard time is we are seeing this is a almost a dress rehearsal for climate change and we are seeing that the earth can be resilient in fact i maybe i'll read a poem from my book if you uh, about this mm -hmm. um it's it, it one of the messages i feel in my book i started out with grief oh my gosh all this stuff but i came as i wrote the book into a feeling of hope and and, a, and a, not a feeling of powerlessness. I feel we have power. So this poem is about uh, resilience. Uh, one of the things I mentioned in the poem is, when I started the book, the starfish on the West Coast were dying by the millions. They are beginning to recover. Many things like butterflies are now monarchs are coming back. So things in nature can be resilient. So the title of the poem is, we have the power to pull back from the brink. And it has a, an epigraph by Alice Walker, which is, I love this. She says, the most common way people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. Mm. So this is the poem. It's about the innate resilience and the good things that are happening. And so I stand here and call power. I stand here and call water. I call creeks, lakes, pools, sinkholes, tide pools with turban snails and starfish, the ones that have come back to the West Coast, climbing over rocks on white tube feet, resilient as nature can be resilient. I call shin bones of water skinning down into sluice boxes, brackish water, sulfur-spelling water, sludge, rain in rain barrels, clear water spilling over dams, and clear water that has never been dammed. I confront the brink, even though I'm part of the brink. I call snow geese sifting onto the rice fields honking, white-fronted geese, brant. I call the shapes of leaves spatulate, cordate, pinnate, lanceolate. I call the hole in the ozone, pollen, luciferin, chitin. I call rare plants and animals coming back because of the fire. Fishers, black-backed woodpeckers, globe mallows, morels. I call fire. And fire answers with its flaming mouth and strange whining pronunciation as it clears the underbrush. And the hole in the ozone answers that it is closing. And the leaves answer, a 12-year-old boy planted a million trees, and luciferin blinks on and off and illuminates what has been buried so long under tons of dark water, and pollen blows into the faces of climbers who hung all night in slings from the St. John's Bridge to stop shell drilling the Arctic, and water answers, Belize, 
banned offshore oil and protected the second largest barrier reef in the ocean and my power answers. I've always known my hand could have been a leaf. Hemoglobin and chlorophyll almost the same, only one atom different. That's beautiful. And one of the statements I have made over the course of many years doing these interviews is, and I would love to you for you to respond to this, I believe that nature is our greatest teacher. Yes. Boy, am I with you, Richard. I really believe that. I have learned so many things from nature. I've learned how to slow down, to be present, to pay attention. It's my meditation teacher. And I think it's the original meditation teacher. And even animals, certain animals have taught me, you know, really specific lessons. I remember I once saw this small brown bird. It's a western wood peewee. They're charming. And it was right at its nest. And there was a stellar jay that just wanted to interfere. This bird threw itself, just banged into this large stellar jay over and over and drove it away. And I learned about boundaries. Wow, this is something I can learn from an animal. I also think animals... Uh, really know how to rest. And often we don't know how to rest. You know, sometimes people just drive themselves. You know, oh, I, I don't have time to have lunch. We'd never treat our dog like that. It's really important to learn from nature, I think. And what's really exciting to me is in this particular time, when everybody, including me, feels a little ungrounded, nature can really help us get grounded. Absolutely. And in this time of staying at home, I think some people are getting the wrong message. Uh, they're being asked to stay home, not inside, and that we need to step outside into the open air. I know that there are some places, uh, you know, I mean, if you live, for example, in Manhattan for, and you live in a high rise, it's going to be a little more difficult, but not impossible. Um, but we still want to stay safe. I'm very fortunate that I live above Santa Barbara, up in the rural areas, in, uh, in the Los Padres National Forest, but it's an area where they've allowed people to, to live. And we rent a property. It's on 10 acres. And I have to tell you, with all the rains we've had, it's just been incredibly green. And it's so beautiful. It's just awesome. I mean, <laughs> without getting too overly excited here. Um, and... You know, and my wife and I, matter of fact, as of this uh, conversation, we sat outside uh, on a couple of uh, chairs uh, under the awning of our travel trailer and enjoyed uh, our libations and uh, watched the sun go down uh, through the trees and uh, just, uh, you know, and our dog was with us, too. Uh, we also have a family of deer on the property that came along. And, of course, our dog is not too happy about that. I have him on a line. And he took off, bolted off, broke his collar, and chased the deer. Fortunately, he came back. I, I was actually very concerned about that, but he did come back. And the deer were fine. He, he, he could never catch them anyway. But we just spent the evening until, I think, like 9, 9 o'clock from 4, 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, sitting outside, talking, 
listening to the frogs croaking as the sun uh, as we entered twilight. Um, what a an opportunity for peace and tranquility, um, and sometimes to stare off into the stars and just focus on them, and just kind of let the mind chatter, chatter, and not even focus on it. Um, I don't know where, yeah. where, where you are uh, in the world, but I would think that, uh, and I mentioned trees, and that's something we want to talk about. I, I did hear this, uh, you know, I mean, I learned this in, um, I can't remember if it was biology, what cor- class it was, that, you know, uh, 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 the trees, they take uh, the carbon dioxide and they convert it into oxygen, and then they expel that and so forth. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, everything has uh, its intake and outtake, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're not real fond of other animals and their, we'll call it scat if it's a bear, you know, or their, their, their uh, uh, fecal matter, right? Well, that's what oxygen is from a tree. It's its, it's waste. You know, if you think about it, we, th- we, we like to put it in a beautiful flowery term that it, uh, oh, yeah, they make oxygen for us. Well, maybe that was the that was the design, but when you think about it, they take in and then they expel. They and we do the same thing, right? But yes. I had heard this not long ago. I wasn't even aware of this, uh, uh Ellery. That the majority of our oxygen actually comes from the ocean. Not the yeah. trees, not. And again, that's not to say we should be cutting down the, the rainforest, but that our oceans also provide us with oxygen through the algaes that grow on the surface. And what, what the earth is uh, two thirds water. Yeah. Talk to us. Uh, let's go back to land. Talk to us about uh, trees and from your uh, your life, your experience, uh, your research and study. How and why are trees so, so vital to, quite honestly, our very existence? I, I, you know, what's really exciting to me is there's been a lot of science. So I'll just start with the research. If people spend time in nature with trees, it's been proven their diabetes gets better. They sleep better. They live longer. Kids with ADHD who play outdoors have milder symptoms. Kids get better grades. Doctors are beginning to write prescriptions for kids to go outside. Patients recovering from surgery heal faster. It's amazing what nature can do for us. It's really an ancient medicine. Also, in my book, I talk quite a lot about uh, women who've studied trees and who've studied nature. And um, there's a a wonderful woman that I mentioned, Suzanne Simard, who's a Canadian forest ecology. What she's found is this amazing thing that trees actually nurture each other. The whole idea of like, oh, trees are fighting for the light and you know, this whole idea of competition and all that. It's not true. Trees are actually concerned about the whole forest. And one of the reasons I, I, I included feminism in my book and and a women's a woman's point of view is I feel like we need to recover the feminine source of interdependence, the feminine feeling for interdependence. And what this wonderful ecologist found is there's a sick tree in the forest. All the trees send sugar 
to that one tree. They even have found that there's was a dead stump. And of course, the biologists were thinking, oh, this is dead. It, it was alive because the trees were still feeding it. It was the mother stump of the forest. So uh, I mentioned quite a bit in my book about women who have strong relationships to the forest. And um, there's also a woman I talk about, Barbara McClintock, who's a geneticist, and she found the secret of the corn gene because for a large part of it was because she was a woman and she expected the corn genes to be cooperating. And the men in the uh, you know genetics department were all thinking there's a top gene that's going to control all the other genes. And she found that the secret of corn was that it was all interdependent. So I just think interdependence is the nature of life. And also, here's one wonderful thing. If we can reforest the world, and the good news is we are doing this. Ethiopia just planted 350 million trees in one day. That's mm. amazing. And also, uh, what, what Christiana Figueroa says, she's the woman who brokered the Paris Agreement. She says, if we only can get three and a half percent of the population to be behind climate change, we can make a change and we're almost there. So I'm feeling hopeful for some of these things that are going on. Yeah. I find it interesting as we get these different reports from around the world that you listed some of them. And and I mentioned, of course, uh, uh, Venice, um, that I'm hoping that the powers that be uh, are being made aware of this situation being made aware that man does have an impact on his environment. Now, some would say, well, of course we have an impact. Well, the climate change people. And by the way, I want to uh, share with you that um, I try not to talk about climate change only because I think it's irrelevant. What is relevant is we need to clean up our home. And if that results in a slowing or a reversal of this heating up of the planet, what a wonderful side benefit. But the bottom line is, from my perspective, I don't even get into arguments or conversations or discussions with people about climate change. I just say, look, we need to clean up our home. Uh, This is ridiculous that, you know, I mean, if, if it doesn't matter whether or not we do this, then why do you and I and others... Uh, Usually on a weekend, we spend time in the house, we'll vacuum, we'll dust, we'll do the dishes, we'll do the laundry, we'll mow the lawn, we'll trim the the, the shrubs and this and that. We go through all of this machination and then we say, now, we don't need to worry about the environment. It'll take care of itself. It's fine. It's it's too huge as the as the wonderful economics phrase is. It's too big to fail. Well, you have to wonder if maybe the virus that's sweeping the earth that we don't have a vaccine for yet, as of this conversation, Ellery, maybe the earth is trying to tell us something. You know, if you people don't get with the program and start cleaning up this place, then then you're out of here. I mean, isn't that what uh, parents will do to teenagers who, <laughs> as they're reaching the age of of uh, uh, of accountability, say eighteen? You know, if you don't if you don't start doing something to to support the household, you know, you get to find a new household. <laughs> um, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about 
that in terms of the message, getting this message across to people? I feel like, I do feel, I, I started this book in grief, but I ended it feeling that action is the answer. It's the antidote to despair. And at a time like this, we can do a lot of things at home. We can mm -hmm. send emails and postcards to our senators and say we care about the earth, we care about climate change, we care about conservation. We can um, hook up with a group that plants trees like the Nature Conservancy because the earth can be reforested. It's starting to happen. We can do a lot of things uh, that are, can make a huge difference. I feel hopeful because sometimes, you know, like everybody, I get kind of depressed. I think, oh gosh, you know, doom and gloom. We only have 10 years. But actually the truth is we still have 10 years to make a difference. And man, we've never been a people in our lives. Never has anybody had a chance to make a huge difference with their lives as we do now. So we still have 10 years and we can, you know, steadfastly, make a difference uh, joining groups like the Sierra Club and 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 for me getting the vote out this year for people who who are interested in conservation and the League of Conservation Voters is terrific it has a little list of people get the vote up for these folks but I feel hopeful and here's why I know we're in a dark time for the earth but we've come through dark times before and come out victorious. And, you know, when I was in college, Rachel Carson was acting about DDT. And I would have, I wasn't really, honestly, I was just kind of a student back then. But if I'd been paying attention, I might have said, this is a wonderful person. Her ideas are great, but there's no hope. You know, the polluters are just too strong and it's hopeless. And I see that. I would have been so wrong. She helped ban DDT. She got the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act. She did amazing things in a very short time. So I feel we can make changes. It's possible. And we are going to continue talking about making changes, transforming our lives and transforming the life of our home. We're talking with uh, Ellery Akers. She's the author of her latest work, which is entitled Swerve, Environmentalism, Feminism and Resistance. And we will continue our conversation here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World in just a moment. Tell me your story. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story. I'm here with uh, Ellie Akers talking about Swerve. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us, Ellie. Uh, Ellery, Ellery, yeah. I thank you for being here and, and sharing your time with us. It's great to be here. What, uh, what is one of the most um, profound things that you have experienced uh, in the environmental movement, shall we say, uh, since you've been involved, and maybe we should start there. When did you become involved in uh, trying to help us to take care of our home and, and make it a cleaner place for everybody to live? Well, I've been an environmentalist for a long time because I love nature so much, and I think that's the key to protecting it. We just really have to love it. But I remember a long time ago, and... Um, I'm older than you, so you might not remember this, but there was a river in Ohio that was so polluted that it caught fire. Oh, it just yes. flamed, shooting up out of this. What was amazing is that 
within a few years after Rachel Carson was doing her great work, it got cleaned up. So that was one of the first moments I thought, we can turn things around. Look how quickly that happened. And in fact, I even have a poem in my book about that called Any Moment There Could Be a Swerve in a Different Direction. So I think I call my book Swerve because I feel history shows us with the Me Too movement, suddenly things change. Uh, with the Berlin Wall, you know, suddenly one day it's a ball and the next day champagne with apartheid overnight. We have freedom. We can really make a difference. I think that's something people need to remember. They need to keep in mind in that regard because um, it is easy to get overwhelmed. Matter of fact, uh, when you when you use that example, uh, when you start using those examples, one of the things that comes to mind uh, you know, when I, I think about all of this is when I was a kid growing up, one of the, you know, you'd always, you know, you know how you'd watch the uh, Miss America pageant and, um, yeah. and they would ask that one question, I'd like world peace and so forth. <laughs> uh, or, or maybe even the phrase, I want to change uh, the world. Well, when you think about that one phrase, I want to change the world, you, you, it's like, that's huge. That's that's I don't know that we can do that uh, because it's too big. It's just too big. But that's what we want to do. Uh, we want to change the world. But what we've come to realize is that the world is not as big as we thought it was. And that that goal is actually possible because we're doing it, as you just described. We are actually making those changes on small levels uh, that are making a big difference. How about that young man from the Netherlands? I saw about four or five years ago on the Internet a story about a young man who wanted to clean up the gyres, the, the big swirling piles of plastic out in the, uh, out in the oceans. And he came yeah. up with this uh, mechanism, very large, to help to scoop it and then find ways of actually using it, not just throwing it in the landfill where it could eventually wash back into the waters again. And it took him a long time and a lot of criticism. I, I just was amazed at how much criticism the poor guy took until he finally was able to perfect it to such a point where, from what I understand, it's now working. And he's out there. Yeah. I don't know how deep it goes, how many feet down it goes, because you talk about the, you know, you can also talk about the microplastics, you know, but one thing at a time. If we get the big stuff, then we don't have the little stuff. Um, what about this young gal, uh, Gretchen? Uh, that, I think that's her name. Gre or Greta. Maybe it's Greta Th uh, Thun Thunberg. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I hear the criticisms of her by others who are obviously older than her that are almost saying that she doesn't have a right to speak because a, she dropped out of school B and more, more to the point. She's a teenager. Um, your thoughts about, uh, you know, a, an individual's right to speak out over injustice and, and all of these different things. Yeah. You know, I always think what the Dalai Lama said, he said, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. And she started just by, you know, 
one one Friday sitting outside the Swedish parliament. I really admire her. I think um, kids really have an enormous right because their life is going to change in the future. And I really admire these kids. You know, the Sunrise Movement is another movement that I think is wonderful. They're trying to uh, help pass the Green New Deal, which would help, uh, you know, create jobs and help help conservation. Uh, I also think, you know, what you're talking about is making a difference. I feel like we can't leave it up to the young people. They're involved because they're seeing their future being taken away from them. But we can do things on a small, steady basis. You know, I meditate, but I don't get up in the morning thinking, well, I meditated, now I'm enlightened, that's it. I just do it every day as a small, steady practice. And I think people sometimes do feel overwhelmed. And I always say, you know, well, just do one thing, focus on one thing that you enjoy and do it with other people. I have a neighbor who's working on stopthemoneypipeline.org, which is something in 350.org. And she's just doing it, you know, steadily every day. Another neighbor is sending postcards every day, trying to help elect people. I feel like we can't leave it up to these wonderful young people who are who are really overwhelmed by what's happening to their future. Mm. Well, and, and, and it's like they live here too. So why is it that they don't have the same right to speak up about all of this as all the rest of us? That's the one thing that has always perplexed me uh, in that regard. Uh, And I'm hoping that there are people who are opening their minds a little bit to, uh, to understand that, that if, if we are, if our voices are silenced then somebody else is going to have to speak up for us. And I think, I think in one sense you're right. I know that Greta made a comment uh, that has stayed with me, um, and it has to do with the fact that she hasn't had a childhood of, of sorts, in her, and specifically in her teen years, of course, because she has mm-hmm. to deal with, uh, she chooses to deal with this issue to try to change things. Mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder... Um, you know, there have been periods of time in our history where they use the phrase, uh, our innocence was lost. And there seems to be a new one every so often um, mm. where an event happens and our innocence was lost, um, you know, and uh, now it's serious business. And one of the things that has struck me, especially about this virus, is how it's been turned into an enemy. We are at war. That's what they're saying. We're at war against this this virus, this, you know, this this multitude of cells that exist. Right. And I'm just I sit there mm-hmm. and I'm going, you mean to tell me we can't even get through something like this without going to war? And, 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 and then, of course, and I say this with all due respect to those who have had to deal with it, either themselves or have lost loved ones to this. But I got to tell you, when I think about it, I'm thinking, you know, where in the heck is the prime directive when you need it? Non-interference. It's only doing what it's doing, just like every other virus. And I heard that we actually carry with us in our bodies multiple viruses, but they're not detrimental to our to the host, to the physical body's health and well-being. But this one, this one is just like cancer. It's the same thing. Uh, And of course, they've been doing research with cancer cells, wondering how it is that this thing can replicate the way that it does. 
what what's going on in the, that DNA? How can we use that DNA, that sequential part of it, to help to maybe uh, help someone to grow a new arm or uh, regenerate an eye or whatever, the, you know, those kinds of things. Those, to me, are wonderful things. But to say that we're at war, I, I just, I don't know. It, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it's like the United States just can't seem to get along without having an enemy. Am I wrong? You know, I think you're totally right. And I think one of the things that so speaks to me uh, and moves me is the sense of interdependence. We are so not separate. We think we're so separate. We go to work and, oh, gosh, we don't affect the ocean. But we're all part of everything. I thought maybe I would read a shorter poem about um, if that's a good idea. Yes, absolutely. We have time for that. Yes. Um, This is a poem about what nature teaches us and how it can calm us down at this point, I think. What nature teaches us? That it slows you down so you can hear the stream as it pours. It reminds you, you are in the body it made for you. The quiet in the deep ground reminds you, the rock gouged by wind. You can stand under a tree as it rests in its own frank love of itself. Rarely you see this in a man or woman, often in a tree. In the glare and heat, you can hear a garter snake slide across gravel. Your body likes to sit and watch the day moon and you're surrounded by chlorophyll as it binds the sun in the leaves and you sit under those leaves in the calm air and your mind surrenders its locomotives and you breathe. How many poems have you written thus far? Because I know there are a lot more coming. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, golly. I've written thousands and thousands and for the writers out there listening to this program, I would say a huge percentage of them are just plain bad. But that doesn't matter. I just keep writing. I love the process of writing. It's sort of like writing is like compost. You throw a lot in your compost and, you know, potatoes come out of it. So writing is just a wonderful, exciting, inspiring thing to do, even though most of what I do doesn't work. Well, I would have to say that that anytime someone can express their thoughts and ideas and feelings about a subject, about an issue, about themselves, um, and put that out there for other people to, to hear and read. Um, I think, uh, it takes, sometimes it takes a great deal of courage. I mean, I, I have this, uh, this particular, uh, broadcast podcast that I've been doing for a long, long time. And, uh, it's kind of where I'm able to kind of put those ideas out there. I have actually been challenged by many of my guests, uh, to maybe look at my position from a different perspective, but you know, that's wonderful because that's what this program's about. We're, we're all standing on the edge of a circle looking inward at a particular event, a particular issue. And each time we, uh, view it from a different point on that circle, we get a different perspective. We get a broader understanding of what's happening inside the circle. 
unfortunately, a lot of people like the position that they are in uh, and they don't want to move. And they um, they become I think the word is they become myopic to the extent that uh, they are now making decisions based upon only one perspective. And I saw a video my wife showed me the other day about the criticisms of the quote-unquote experts uh, and um, and how a lot of what has been done in the last five or six weeks should never have been done because this thing isn't that big of a deal and so on and so on and so on. And I thought, well, that's just one guy's perspective. Um, you know, I've seen people get the flu. I've had the flu. It's been years. But I've reinforced my immune system to the extent that I get outside as often as I can to get that vitamin D. Uh, I, my wife and I try to eat as healthfully as we can, eat lots, as, as many greens as we possibly can, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, I try to keep an optimistic, glasses-half-full perspective. Um, you're now sharing with us how we need to get out in nature. Talk to us about the... Uh, some, some more of the health benefits, if you will, of getting out in nature. Trees in particular, of course, are going to keep us alive because they are creating that oxygen that we're able to breathe. And I'll tell you what, if you live in a forest, man, have you got a supply? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's so interesting that in Japan, they even have made this an actual traditional form of medicine called forest bathing. And they take patients out there and their immune system goes up. It's, it's really uh, being seen as really the new wonder medicine. Uh, people live longer. And uh, I myself feel that one of the benefits for me is it uh, is, is so authentic. It just takes me out of, you know, meaningless kind of chatter and you know so many people have to worry about pleasing the boss and being polite and nature is just accepting whoever you are and you can really relax and be yourself and for me i actually have had encounters with animals that are really comforting i remember once i had a big loss in my life and i was just so depressed and i went out and i stood in the middle of this field and a chickadee landed on my shoulder and i immediately felt so much better uh, I mean, immediately, I just felt like I didn't even want to wash my parka after that. I was like, wow, that was amazing. So I think if one of the things about loving nature, which is really true, is that nature loves us back. I really feel it's a it's a reciprocal relationship. I know many people think, oh, I love nature, but but nature doesn't love me back. But I, I think I, in my experience, that's not true. I felt so reassured and comforted and soothed i guess by nature well and and that's the one of the beautiful things that i love about nature myself i like being outside matter of fact uh, maybe uh, to my wife's consternation <clears throat> i like i like to go outside and even if it's just a small project uh, i like to go out and work outside say, uh, at, at our trailer, um, you know, we just bought this trailer, uh, six months ago and we actually slept in it last night for a few hours before we went in the house after spending several hours sitting outside of it and enjoying nature. I just like being outside and doing stuff. And I have to tell you that you ever, have you ever, uh, been in a room 
or been in a place where they had one color in particular. Uh, and then when you left that room, you still you had like in your eye, you still had the uh, the opposite glow, uh, the opposite color glow in your eye. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. OK, well, one of the things I've noticed is I've never experienced that staring at green. Yeah, I have never experienced that. I have with blue, with red, with yellow, uh, again, on and on, but not with green. And my Vedic astrologer tells me that I need to put green window tinting, clear window film on my exterior windows of my home to allow that green light to come in. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I actually are going to do that as far as the... Uh, as far as the uh, uh, kitchen is concerned, we have this huge six foot wide by four foot high picture window. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's, it's great. And um, she wants to put window film in there of flowers. And we did this in our, in our home in Phoenix in one of the uh, ceiling uh, fixtures. It was a, a fluorescent fixture with a plastic cover, you know, and we just laid it yeah. on the inside of there. And so you got that wonderful glow of the different colors in that room. Uh, also getting, uh, what is it, natural uh, uh, spectrum uh, lighting. That's another thing for inside. But uh, there's nothing that compares with going outside and getting that yeah. sunshine. I'm not a fan of the heat, yeah. but I don't mind the, sun. <laughs> I don't mind the sunshine. <laughs> Talk to us about feminism. Talk to us about how that relates. Here we have in the 21st century, in the teens, we've got, uh, and here we are into the 20s, um, this huge, on the one hand, some will call it feminist movement. There are others who are referring to it as the feminine energy movement. Talk to us about that. Yeah. You know, in my book, I really talk quite a bit about certain women that I admire who are my heroes. I think uh, women have made a huge difference to the earth. There's a wonderful, you probably know Wangari Maathai, who was uh, from Africa, who planted 51 million trees with her group of people. And of course, um, she was actually in prison. People tried to stop her, but she made this enormous difference. And of course, Jane Goodall is another one of my heroes. Rachel Carson is my uh, someone I think about almost every week. I I feel like this was a woman who changed the world overnight because she really cared. And I do feel like women are able to see how interdependent we are and uh Women are speaking up and being effective, like this Me Too movement. I mean, my heavens, who would have thought that in a very short time, suddenly sexual harassment was going to be addressed in such a deep way? So I feel like women are are necessary for this great change we're having. And women are almost hardwired for community and interdependence. Well, I am excited to uh, to have lived the first 20 or 21 years of my life within uh, uh, the confines, if you will, or embrace or what have you, of uh, the feminine energy because I grew up with two older sisters, two younger sisters, and a mother. 
And it was just me and my younger brother and myself on the other side, so to speak, <laughs> or as the other yeah. other part of that dynamic. Um, yeah. So I, I don't have a problem with with living in a matriarchal society. I mean, it's usually the women that are controlling things, even though the men think they are. Uh, I still love that story. I can't remember exactly what time period it was in uh, where the women uh, were real upset with the men over what it was that they were doing or planning to do. And basically they said, you follow through on this and we're cutting you off. Uh, There'll be no uh, intimacy with me until things change. And uh, I guarantee you that if that were tried today, I think there <laughs> that would go a long yeah. way to uh, uh, it would go a long way. But all women would have to participate in that regard or not participate. That'd be tricky. You know, there's a uh, Aristophanes wrote a play called Lysistrata, which is uh, women trying to stop a war. And that's just what they do. You know, unless we stop this war, there's nothing going on between you and me. I, I, it's a very funny play, but. The idea is pretty interesting. Absolutely. And and I, I certainly, uh, I don't have the answers to any of these questions. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, all I know is that uh, we have a situation where the feminine energy, it's been described this way. I'd like you, your elaboration on this. The feminine isn't trying to usurp and or take over and control over the masculine. There needs to be a balance, but the feminist movement is part of is part of the swing of the pendulum, and some say that it's swung way too far to the other side. But they've also acknowledged, but it had to, it had to, and and maybe it's still swinging out. Uh, it had to because of the level of repression and suppression and dominance that the male. Uh, um, energy or male uh, attitude, uh, masculinism, if you will, or machoism, uh, uh, machismo, uh, has done over the centuries, literally centuries. Uh, your thoughts on that? You know, I don't know if we have time for a short poem about sure, this. Sure, please do. There's a poem in my book about an archetype of the really healthy feminine energy, and it's called Dandelion Woman. Dandelion woman says the earth will not be scorched beyond repair. Her name means tooth of the lion. She knows how to make aspirin out of willow bark. The rain likes her. The grass likes her. She says no to hotels with gold doorknobs. No to Vogue. She's not defined by the stares of men. She's defined by the gaze of of stars. She knows what's outside her is inside her. The calcium in her bones from shells, the iron in her blood from crusts on rocks that leached into the sea. She knows nothing is divided. The wind parts the grass the same way she parts her hair. She has enough when she smells the forest. She loves minerals. She loves stones. She leans on basalt and chert as if they were sofas. She knows how to shake this old furnace of a world until it coughs up what's choking 
its core. Well, I do believe that we're in a transformational phase. My uh, dear friend and uh, program uh, guest who's been on this program a number of times, the late um, Barbara Marks Hubbard, used to say that uh, we are in a transformational time. And this goes back to 2007 when she was on the program for the first time. And she said that it's kind of like birth pangs. And I don't know about you. I have never experienced giving birth to anything, but uh, I have heard, I have heard rumors that sometimes it ain't the most pleasant feeling in the world. Uh, Well, that's kind of what we're going through right now is these birth pangs. And they get a little more intense as time goes on until eventually you have that transformation into something new, something beautiful. Uh, it's one of those things, uh, uh, um, Ellery, that I I talk to people about quite regularly in terms of the duality of this world, okay? And I don't know about you, but I have a real problem with that. I try to look at everything in the world as just part of the whole. You know what I mean? In other words, yeah. In other words... If you're looking at the universe and you're watching things moving and spinning and glowing and exploding and crashing, you don't say that any of that is good or bad. You just are kind of like in awe. It's like, wow, that's that's incredible. That's amazing that I'm able to see this stuff. But when we see the same kind of spinning and moving and whirling and crashing and, and exploding here, we go nuts. You know, we have these emotions that tell us, oh, that was bad. But you, I'm sure, know that Chinese story. About the farmer and his son. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and the farmer basically has this son and they have horses and the horses get out uh, and the neighbor comes over to to talk to uh, to talk to the to the farmer and uh, tells the story of the this happening. And the, the neighbor says, oh, well, that's bad. And the farmer says, well, who's to say whether it's good or bad? Then he tells the next part of the story, how his son went out and he uh, he was able to bring the horses back. And the neighbor, of course, says, well, well, that's good. He says, well, who's to say whether it's good or bad? And, of course, then the next step of the story is he's training. The son is training the horse, falls off and breaks his leg. Oh, that's bad. Who says? Uh, Then, of course, the military comes through to conscript people for a war they want them to fight. Well, he has a broken leg, so he can't go fight. Well, that's good. Well, who's to say? And on and on and on. I won't I won't do the whole story. But that's one of the things I'm curious about in terms of this aspect of resistance. Resistance to what? Well, it's interesting because as a writer, I have to say that one of the things I know about writing is that one has to encompass the opposites in a poem or a work or art, or it's just not good. If you say, oh, everything's pretty, that's not true. Everything's awful, that's not true either. Um, but I think what we need to do now uh is, I use the word resistance because it's a political word, but it's, I do think we need to change. Uh, and I think what women are hoping for is a sense of not control. We talked about, we're laughing about women being in control. I think women want to feel empowered. We want men to feel empowered. We want everyone to feel empowered. And we want the earth to feel empowered and be able to uh, get back to normal. So, I feel like it's really important this year in 2020 to get out the vote. I think that's one thing we can do as a form of resistance or let's not deal with the power over paradigm. Let's make sure we live with everyone is empowered. 
Couldn't agree with you more uh, in that respect. And the, the 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 thing that I do find a little sadden, saddening, and, and that is that there are some people who don't want to give uh, uh, that right to others. Uh, you know, they, they, they say, well, no, you don't have enough education or, oh, that's not your area of expertise and on and on and on. However, then there's the converse of it. Uh, people who are spouting off, who are in, are, are in positions of, of authority, if you will, supposedly authority, who are spouting off based upon whatever information they're getting from that one spot on their circle. You know, and uh, I don't I don't know what's really going on. And that's why you made the comment about this being 2020. It is the year of perfect vision. And we're trying to encourage people to go within. How about that aspect of of our going within in this process of of uh, dealing with these three elements, as you talk about with the poems in your book, Swerve? Well, I think that's a great point, Richard, because I think we can't help the earth if we come from a place of anger or denial. I don't think this is going to work. Um, but the most effective thing, I think, is to, uh, Joanna Macy is one of my heroes, too, and she says, we have to start with gratitude, and then we have to start with looking at what we can do. And I feel like if we can act from a place of love and gratitude, gosh, I just love the earth so much myself. It's just amazing. That will be the better way to work forward, and that is going within and really trying to act from a place of being centered. Well, I couldn't agree with you more in that respect, getting centered. Uh, that's something that everybody needs right now. I know that yeah. people are starting to feel a little, uh, I guess the word is stir crazy uh, at one level, yeah. at one level. But at the same time, what an opportunity we have right now um, to 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 do the things that we haven't really done or been able to do for the longest time. I mean, my goodness, you now have all day. And I know some people, they, you know, they start getting into some of these tasks and, and then they go, eh, I don't want to do this. You know, it's not, I don't want to go there, but it's, it is still that opportunity that we have. And I, I really hope people will, begin to understand that that's where we're going. That's what we have right now. And, and it's okay. Uh, and it also is okay if you just want to sleep. You know, I think that, that that's one of the other aspects of this, uh, um, Ellery, that, that maybe we need to look at too. Whatever it is that you feel you need to do, do it. You know, uh, as, long as, you, as long as you keep yourself and others safe. That's the real key, I think, right? I think that's great. And I think um, there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. And this is a perfect opportunity to try to switch one into the other because loneliness is just longing. But solitude can be a, a great uh, opportunity for creativity, for making art. For A friend of mine is, is taking photographs out of her window every day of the clouds. Um, some people are... Are, are writing postcards and trying to help the earth. It's it's a time where we can we can connect with creativity or spirituality. I mean, it, it is difficult, uh, but I think 
we're slowing down. We're becoming more in tune with our animal nature because animals don't rush around all the time. Mostly they are resting and conserving energy, and, and we need to do that too. Well, we certainly hope that people will take the time to begin the process of understanding themselves, going within, sitting out in nature. I mean, there has to be a place you can go. And, and, and of course, here in California in particular, I know that you probably have had to deal with this up there, uh, this whole aspect of people uh, congregating on the beaches and then they end up closing the beaches and now nobody can go to the beach. You know, and it's like, yeah. um, people, hello. <laughs> Uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Cut it out. You know, you know better than this. And what's wrong with the short term of staying away from people? You know, um, I mean, I'm certainly what I anticipate is when they lift the uh, social uh, social uh, distancing uh, um, regulation, if you will, when they lift that, I see massive group hugs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can I can't wait. My friends, it's like, oh. Yeah. Now, I still give my wife a hug when I get home, but I make sure that I stay far enough away from everybody else. And if she ever feels the need, the need for me to stay away from her until I decontaminate, if you will, and again, I don't, I don't get, I don't run around town by any means. Uh, then I go into the trailer. I will disrobe. I will jump in the shower and rinse off. Then I'll take those clothes and we'll put them right in the wash. Not a big deal. Um, yeah. so, uh, you know, just doing what we can and, and knowing that this is temporary. That's the other aspect too. um, Ellery is, is a lot of people, their, their fears are raised because there's this sense, even though they probably logically know that it isn't true, that this is going on way too long. And it almost feels like this is going to be the way it is from now until they die. Yeah. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's been hard for people to be, you know, suddenly taken out of the norm. It's almost like an enforced meditation program. Uh, And I feel it's, it's really made me feel more able to like, you know, I've been rushing around too much. And now I really want to concentrate on sending out my postcards and trying to help uh, the election and trying to get people to help the earth. So it's, it's, I guess I would say it's focused me a little more. Yeah. Well, I know that it has focused me and, and I get questions asked of me from time to time about all of this too. And it just, it, it, it just gets to the point where we, we've got to come to a, a, a an understanding that this is uh, not the way it's going to be. Nothing ever lasts forever. Nothing is permanent. Uh, maybe with the small exception of uh, senators and congressmen holding office for 12 and 15 and 30 and 40 years. I think that's the only other permanency <laughs> that we have. I mean, that's Whoa. how it feels. That's how it feels sometimes. I mean, it's just uh, uh, those who are supposed to be jobs of, of, uh, uh, of service, not of permanency. And uh, I'd like to see that that whole aspect change in our society. But uh, maybe that's the other thing, too. Maybe, maybe, Ellery, maybe this is a transformation uh, of our of the way that we govern ourselves. Maybe we're starting to learn that 
they've been saying that the president has been saying that he will make the decision as to when to reopen the government or to reopen the, the economy. Uh, the governors are standing fast and saying, no, we will make that decision. And I've been talking with others who say, no, not even the governors will make that decision. Ellery, it will be you and it will be I who will make that decision. The company yeah. owners and the small business operators, they will make that decision. We all have choice. I could say, you know what? I could say, you know what? I'm not taking the risk. I don't want to risk my wife's health. She has underlying conditions. I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to stay home. And I don't care what happens to the radio station. I could make that choice. Um, but at least for the time being, uh, I have the I have the privilege uh, and the choice of, you know, coming in. So I'm grateful for you uh, also for for, so to speak, coming in. Um, and uh, Ellery Akers, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program and giving us so much time. This has really been a pleasure. Um, is there a quintessential poem, if you will, um, at least as far as you are concerned, uh, a poem, a, a poem's poem, so to speak, <laughs> uh, that sort of says it all for you in, in, yeah. in okay. What is that? I'll, I'll read this poem, and it's about my feeling of hope and that action is our hope, but hope is a verb. And it's a poem uh, that refers to all the good things that have happened at Standing Rock when the, Viet the Vietnam vets came and supported the Native Americans when um, a lot of fracking was stopped. And it also refers to people helping the immigrants. So it speaks for we are in a difficult time, but look at the good things people have done. It's called taking action. It's good to act, to lean into the body of the world, to know lawyers sit at airports with signs saying, we can help, written in Farsi. It's good to stop machines, giant needles that drill into the earth, because what they are stitching is the end. To see soldiers who wear camouflage, shirts and pants that look like leaves and bark, kneel in front of the Sioux and say they're sorry for what's been taken, even the language for leaves and bark. It's good to signal to the others who are shocked to know we're not alone in shock, that when we drive past a house, we know someone is sitting in a chair in front of a TV, shocked. But the men who want to make us afraid are afraid. And my time on earth is a huge breath. I can blow that breath into the world. Mm, that's beautiful. Before we let you go, when the... Travel restrictions are lifted. We would love to invite you to come down here to Santa Barbara to uh, continue our conversation. I think that it's important. I'd like to talk more someday about uh, your environmental activism, if you will, and, and what you feel that you have accomplished. It's one of the other things, too, that I, I have to share with you, and that is I hear a lot of moaning, groaning, and complaining on both sides, if you will, uh, about the other side. 
and how dangerous they are. And, and it's almost as if each side wishes the other side would just die. Just go away. <laughs> you know, get the coronavirus and die. And then the world would be a beautiful place. But then the other message that I get from both sides when I hear all of this complaining is they're playing the victim. It's this victimhood all over again. It's like their fault, their fault, their fault. And, of course, I say, well, no, it's not their fault. It's yours. It's your fault because you didn't get your people out to vote for the right people, as you see it, to get in there and make the right decisions, as you see it, uh, so that the world would be the way that you want it. So it's not their fault. It's yours. Um, but I just get so tired of this, this victim, victimization as well as victimhood. You know, it's like, when are we going to take responsibility for our own actions? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I still go back to that saying by John Muir, which really is true, I think, even in a time like this, is earth has no sorrow that earth cannot heal. And I think we can all really revisit the earth, and especially at this time, and take solace. Absolutely. Uh, Ellery Akers, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing with us, of course, the work that you are doing in poetry through the book Swerve. And we uh, certainly hope that we can join you again in the not-too-distant future. Uh, before we let you go, I first want to remind our listeners that if you're listening to the radio broadcast, you want to go to the podcast. There's a lot more that she and I talked about, and we certainly encourage you to go there. And if you can support us financially, PayPal and Patreon account links are available both on the homepage of richarddugan.com as well as the missions page and uh, at uh, SoundCloud when you go to tell me your story. Um, the three final questions I have for you are... In this order, though you may have addressed them somewhat in the interview, I like to ask these questions directly. Who is Ellery Akers? <laughs> wow, uh, that's a, something I've been dealing with my whole life in meditation and so on. But I feel I'm, an, I'm a nature lover, I'm a creative person, and I really hope to inspire people to make change because I think... We really have this golden opportunity right now. It's a window of time that we can really make a difference. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Well, I'd love to inspire environmentalists to keep going. I think it's, it's a hard slog sometimes, but I do think I want to give people hope because it is hopeful. Um, one of the things that Christiana Figueres, who's written a new book, it's a wonderful book, she says, we really could have a happy future. The earth could be reforested. It's already happening. This could buy us time. We could have clean energy and sustainable cities. It's really possible. So I guess I feel, um, you know, a few poems might help people. And then I do my own environmental work in writing letters all the time and standing up for what I think is important. Excellent. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Okay, that's pretty easy. I feel like I want to be, <laughs> I know about this, I want to help the earth. That's really important to me. I've spent so much time outdoors. It's been a great blessing. I want to return that blessing. I want to be creative. And I want to heal myself and other people through my writing. Again, 
uh, Ellery uh, Akers, I thank you again for joining us here on the program. The website that people want to go to is, what is it? www.elleryacres.com. I thought it was that easy. Elleryacres.com <laughs> will be linked to her website. And I'd like to thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lol.